you. The, um, uh, I, I always get excited when we get to talk more about church planting and get to hear about it. And one of the cool things about the, that church, the future church plant in Steinach am Brenner in, in Austria, is it'll be, if it, Lord willing, if it does go through in, in, um, in March, it will be the first Acts 29 church in Austria, which is cool. That us as a small church got to be part of a um, new church in a country that our network hasn't been in before, which is fantastic. Um, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about uh, this big topic of love came down. And there's going to be, um, over this series of Advent, there's going to be other people preaching from other parts of the text, other parts of the Bible, but all with that kind of big theme. What does it mean that love came down? And when I was originally writing this, I was like, I think this surely must be good news for everybody. Because I don't know if anyone has ever said they've had too much love. Like, Do you feel like when you w- wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, I'm just loved so much, can't wait to go to work. And on your commute, you're like, oh, I'm just overwhelmed with all the love that I have in this world. And when you're there at like 3 p.m. in a staff meeting with, you know, the person from, I don't know, HR or something, you don't like them, and and you're like, oh, well, good thing I feel completely, absolutely loved 110% all the time, because otherwise this would be very difficult. Like, no, no one has that kind of experience. Very few of us do. Hopefully we have snippets of that when that comes through. But very few of us, if anybody, would say that we're always completely overwhelmed by all the love that we need. And we're all looking out, looking around, trying to find, you know, where we can steal a little bit more love from. Uh, and surely none of us have been felt like we've been loved too much by too many people. These four Sundays that we have, again, I've talked about, is, um, is the word Advent is up there. Advent is just like the four Sundays that lead up to Christmas. So technically, in the church calendar world, this is not Christmas time, this is Advent time. And after Christmas is actually Christmas time. None of you really know that. That's a nerdy kind of like pastor thing, I guess. But now you do, so you can wow your friends at all those cocktail parties. Well, at the next four Sundays, yeah, we're going to have different speakers all on this main theme that love came down. And as always, we have on this page here, there's a... Um, That um, website there, you can ask questions anonymously, and we deal with them after the sermon. So anything that comes up, or if if you're like, could you talk more about this, or what does that mean, or I don't agree with you on this, you can go to that website and send in those anonymous questions or comments. And I think one thing, one reason why I'm excited to talk about this is because all of us could use more love in our lives, every single one of us. And what we get as we seek um, to look into God's words for us today is... We're going to look at this actually more love than we could imagine has already come down for us, is available. And, and there are all sorts of really good consequences for taking advantage and making the most of that love that we've been given. Uh, and actually, if you have your Bible, your app, just keep it open because we will refer to it kind of as we go through. Um, in those two verses that we have, Romans 38, 39, um, what we find is there's a love that came down to keep us inseparable from God's love. The re- one of the reasons that Jesus came down was to keep us inseparable from his love. And because of Jesus, we will never be separated from a love so immense and so good that words fail to describe it, but we'll try. That's what we'll try and do today. Everyone's looking for love. We're all trying to find it. We're all trying to find more. It's because it's kind of like what we're built for. We're love-seeking beings. It's kind of like what, how we're made. There are many Different ways to find different kinds of love. So you have friendship, romantic love, taking care of children and family. Yes, I promise you that is love. Uh, Passions, careers, art, justice, many ways. But only one love really gives us what we're really seeking after. And it's also that same love that once we have it, we're inseparable from it and enables us to actually do all those other things even better than we could before. 
Because only Jesus gives us the love we need. Only Jesus keeps us connected to this love. And it's this love that can fuel all the other ones. Paul uses this term, uh, the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, right at the very end of our verses there. This is not generic love. This isn't even kind of like generic love from God. This is a very specific way this love comes to us. It's through being in Jesus. Now, um, those who are in Jesus have God's love. That's kind of what Paul's saying here. It's what the Bible kind of says throughout. Um, we have it, and it's like an always-on kind of love, like an always-on display. It's always on, but never needs to be charged. It's kind of like it's always going. It's always there. There's always this like beam of love always kind of um, beaming at us nonstop, 24-7. The love of God exclusively, as, as Paul talks about here, and as he talks about throughout the, new, the, the Bible, the love of God exclusively comes through Jesus. It doesn't say the love of God that is in being good. It says the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. It says the love of God, doesn't say the love of God that is in good intentions. It doesn't say the love of God that is um, in good thoughts or in good theology or all the other kind of things, in, in good passions and being a good person. No, the great news is the love of God that is in Jesus. That's really good news. We're going to tease that out a bit. But that means all of us who are in Jesus are in God's love, not sprinkled with a little love, but completely submerged in it. And this is what Paul's talking about. So this is what we'll talk about. It's a love that changes us, a love that keeps us up. You know when you feel loved, uh, maybe it's like you're there, with the, like, um, you're there on the sofa, even watching Netflix, you're just like, oh, I love this so much. Whatever could go on out there is going to go on out there, but because I have this, it just makes everything else like fine. I can go through all that as long as I have this. It's that kind of love only on like a cosmic level. This is the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing is beyond it, and all of us are invited to enjoy it. So for those who are in Christ, this is what we have. We have it. And if that isn't you, this is what you can have. These are resources that anyone can have if they want it. So let's look at how inseparable this love is for all of us. The very first thing that Paul goes for is death nor life. So death and life cannot separate us from this kind of love. When we die, we're not separated from God's love. I mean, Paul's going for the big one straight out, right? It's called death and life. That's a pretty big deal. We will be separated from others on earth when we die. And when other people die, we are separated from them. This is probably maybe like the inside kernel of grief, that when someone we love dies, we're separated from their love. But not so with God. When we die, we aren't separated from this love. When we die, we get to experience a more fuller version of this perfect love. So Paul also says um, death and life. So death and life together, those are like basically the two modes of being a human being. You're either on or off. Whether you're on or off, whether you, you are alive or dead, God's love is there. Regardless of whatever state we are in, God's state of love towards us is always on. It never stops. And because of Jesus, we get to be included in this love. When we die, those who are in Christ will not be separated from God's love. Paul teaches that this isn't true for those who aren't in Christ. For those who aren't in Christ on this side of death, there won't be in Christ on the other side. If you're not in Christ now, you won't be in Christ later on. Now, what that means for Christians, though, is that in the face of the worst possible thing that can happen to you, even in death, we get to laugh in death's face. Because death has nothing on us. It has nothing on Jesus. It has nothing on us. will never, ever be separated from God's love, whatever happens, including death itself. Now, this is something that nobody else can say. Because you can have someone who loves you very much, much more than you deserve, and you love them, a friend, a spouse, or a partner, but at some point, one of you is going to die. 
And as much as you want to help someone, or as much as that person might want to help you, they literally can't do anything about it. Neither of you can help each other in that situation as much as you'd like to. But God's love has a scope and a power beyond any other thing that we have on earth. True in death and also true in life. Nothing can separate us from God's love. So as Paul starts with the biggie right in the beginning, death or life. You're like, wow, this is a really um, happy Christmas sermon, isn't it? We're talking about death the whole time. Well, it, it does, it, it's, it's great news because it whether we're on or off in God's love, um, we, we always get to have it. And Paul also says, neither angels or demons. So another aspect of how inseparable this love is, neither angels or demons can separate us from this. Now, he's t- just like death and life, with angels and demons, he's kind of talking about the whole range of, of spiritual reality, of, of spiritual existence. Um, now, the spiritual world, especially when you say the words angels and demons, we have like some idea of what those things are like, um, but we don't really know a whole lot about it. But we do know, as I mean, if we, if we believe in what the Bible says, we do know there are spiritual forces. Some of them are for us. Some of them are, not, are, are against us. Neither of those have anything on the powerful love of God through Jesus. You can have all the angels in the world, you can have all the devils in the world, and actually none of that really matters at all because God's love is going to always be for you. Now, ignorantly, we, all of us, in the Western individualized, uh, you know, uh, um, intellectualized world, because we know a lot, don't we? We all go about our day and we ignorantly, and without an idea of any kind of spiritual reality happening at all, Call it supernatural, call it spiritual forces, call it angels and demons, whatever words you want to use, it exists. Now, it might sound naive and dumb to recognize something like this. And you're like, okay, you can say that because you're a pastor, but I can never, ever say that because I don't, you know, I can't lean on that. It might sound naive and dumb, but that's only to the, actually the minority culture that we live in. The majority of the world believes in the spiritual world. Most of the world, the majority of the world, believes in the existence of a spiritual world. So actually, like, we are really the ones who are naive if we don't believe in the reality that's going on. But, you know, I've yet to meet anyone who actually doesn't believe in something spiritual. Even if someone's like, oh, angels and demons, isn't that like the kind of stuff that people scare people into believing religion or stuff like that? Which hopefully, I mean, surely the church has misused that, but that's not the reason why they exist. But all of us believe in something spiritual. I mean, take the idea of love. When someone loves another person, someone who doesn't believe in the spiritual world can say, well, love is just a series of chemicals and neurons and brain activity and the right chemicals, the right electric impulses in my brain through evolution and the right electrical impulses in your brain through evolution means we experience love. Some people, you can say that. No one wants to believe that. And if you say at the end of the day, actually that love you have for your child, it's just like a biological like, process of that evolution. It's not real like it's not really love the way you're talking about it. Not really love the way that your songs talk about it. It's not really love the way that captures your imagination in films. That doesn't really exist. No one wants to believe that. You know why? Because it's not true. It's just not true. I've yet to actually meet anyone who would really believe that. Because the love someone has for a partner, for a friend, for their child, is always recognized as something than mere brain activity. And rightfully so. If it is something more than that, though, Now we're not talking about just the mere physical world. We are talking about something about the spiritual world at that point. And whatever goes on in this spiritual world, most of it we have no clue about, which is probably why us very intellectualized people try and pretend like it doesn't exist because we can't understand it, therefore let's make it not exist. But all the stuff that goes on there, whatever can go on there, whatever happens there, some of it we might know, most of it we won't, it will never separate us from the love of God. Never, ever. 
The spotlight beam of love is always on, always directed towards you. So there are spiritual forces at work against you. And they have nothing on God's love through you, to you through Jesus. So not angels or demons, neither the present or the future. And if you haven't realized now, we're just going through Paul's list, the way that Paul's listed it. So there's uh, this one and there's three more after it. Neither the present nor the future. Now, even though our lives are actually pretty good um, when you think about it, like, I mean, go 200 years ago, go 1,000 years ago. Um, I mean, living life before antibiotics, living life before... I mean, especially, I lived in Florida for most of my life, living like before Aircon. Come on, is it even worth living? Who would even live there? It's a swamp. But, we, but for some reason, and maybe it's because of what we're used to and how things might have changed, maybe the perception of change has been, we do feel like we live in an age of uncertainty. And there are uncertain things in this world. I mean, surely COVID has kind of you know, wrecked some things, and, and it's good for us to maybe feel a little bit of that uncertainty. But this age of uncertainty that we're kind of living in, it will be like that, I'm sure, for a bit. It's not tomorrow, next year, it's probably not going to change very much. Housing market, inflation, politics, another pandemic. Oh, can I even say those words? Loneliness, security in your job, all those kinds of things. Never, not, none of that is really ever going to be certain. Your kids will get older. Your friends will move away. You will move away from your friends at times. But this life has always kind of been that way. It's always been uncertain. But there's something about how we feel it right now. We're kind of feeling it, I think, a little bit differently right now. We all want a bit more certainty and a bit more sturdy ground beneath our feet, but we never really know what the future will hold. Well, whatever is going on in your life right now, whatever goes on in your life 10 years from now, none of that is strong enough to separate you from God's love. And I don't know what your life is like now. I know what some of your lives are like now, but God knows how all of our lives are like. And he is telling you now, whatever it is right now, whatever you're in, whatever it is you're going to go to, go through, whether it's tomorrow or five years from now, it's not enough to separate God's love from you. Whatever you do in the future, maybe even this evening, whatever it is, it's not enough to separate you from his love. Because I'm sorry, God is just stronger than you are. And God is stronger than a political system. And God is stronger than a housing market. Whatever the things that kind of keep you up at night. God is stronger than, you know, lack of retirement planning. Whatever the thing might be. You might run, but he runs faster. You might hide, but he's actually pretty good at seeking. He's horrible to play hide-and-seek with. You might push him away, but he's stronger than you. And for those who are in Jesus, you can never get away from his love. Now, whatever circumstances will come and throw your life into the air, and circumstances tend to do that, one thing never changes. One thing is always certain. One thing is never leaving, never forsaking, always at work, and that's God's love for you. This love may not always change our circumstances, but what it does is something even better. It changes us as we go through our circumstances. It allows us to go actually through any kind of circumstance. If it was only a love that changed our circumstance, that would keep us pretty weak and not resilient. But if a love that transforms us into something that can go through anything, that's not only good in the situation, but good for us over the long term. So whatever is here now, whatever is to come, Jesus' love came down to keep us inseparable from God's love. Now, uh, what Paul says here, he kind of even broadens it even more. He's like, nor any powers. So we already talked about some powers, spiritual forces, death and life. Death is a power that we have, you know, are powerless underneath. But what is Paul talking about here? Basically, any institution that has power over us can be spiritual, like the angels and demons stuff, but also can be other things, like governmental, or either on the national level or the local level. There are powers we have fought against as a church, and they're continuing to fight against for it's like, for example, for people in the prison system, the prison system, surprise, surprise, is not always set up to help the individual person going through it. In fact, 
it makes it really easy for people to just stay in that system and not actually get the help that they need. The power is there uh, that lead people to feeling insignificant, to leave people without the resources they need, and then punish them for not having those resources. The prison system is not a positive human situation. There are injustices there. There are injustices against people who don't have the power to fight for justice. Like people who come from LGBTQ plus backgrounds. You might think they have a lot of background because maybe how the media might portray them. And maybe in some ways they do. But when you speak to individual people who have had to deal with that in their own lives, it is just not true. It's just not true. A quarter of people who are homeless are LGBT. A quarter of people who are homeless come from LGBT backgrounds. That is not reflective of the normal population. 70% of homeless LGBT young people have experienced violence, abuse, or rejection from the family home. And that's also add rejection from the church in there for many people. Gay kids are eight times more likely to commit suicide than their peers. Eight times more likely. That's horrible. And they have experienced ostracism in the church, and that's a horrible thing. The church ought to be a place that welcomes everybody. Obviously, it means we change. Everyone who comes in here is going to change. But that initial welcome, gay people don't feel that. If we had more time, maybe we'd talk about the experience of people who are black in the UK, of new immigrants from Eastern Europe here, of human trafficking atrocities that go on in our own country. There are loads. There are powers in this world set against us. Some we know about, some we don't, but even the small percentage of those we do, it does feel completely overwhelming. What are we going to do? We're a church of like 40 people. What are we going to do? It's just so powerful. How can we overcome any of this? But the power of the prison system, the powers of injustice that work against others, this is nothing Nothing compared to the power of God's love. Absolutely nothing. So you're like, that sounds like an, in, an unsurmountable thing, whatever that is. Nothing compared to the power that God has. Because Paul says, nor any powers. From the spiritual world to the broken systems that we've set up and are complicit in, there is no power that is stronger than the power of God's love. Through Jesus, we are inseparable. And then Paul continues, now he's kind of waxing poetic, he's like getting away with it. He says, neither height nor depth, however high something can go, however low can something can go, as far down as this world goes, as far up as it goes, whatever is included in our world, none of that can keep us from God's love. So people, places, political boundaries, geographical boundaries, none of that keeps you from God's love. Now we might try and separate ourselves that way, but none of it keeps us from God's love. Money, plans, goals, when you achieve a dream, when you get disappointed by not getting that dream, none of that keeps you from God's always-on love. Whatever you can think up, whatever gets you down, none of that keeps you from God's always-on love. And there is no place you can go to that would be too far from God. Maybe, I don't know how you came in today, maybe you came in today feeling far from him. If you aren't a follower of Jesus, and yes, you are far from him, but you're not too far. Nobody is too far from God. You can be close to him. Anyone, everyone, all of us can get closer to him. Now, maybe uh, you're a Christian, and when you hear stuff like this, you think, yeah, I haven't done this. I haven't done that. I was mean then. I'm grumpy now. I don't really, I'm here on Sunday, but I don't really want to talk to these people. Maybe you feel far from him. Maybe not now, but tomorrow you are. Your behavior does not alter the intensity of God's love. Isn't that really good news? It doesn't matter if you're good or bad. When you're in Jesus, your behavior does not alter how he's going to respond to you. He's always loving you. The immensity of God's love. He is as close to you now as he will ever be. He will never be closer to you if you're in Jesus. He will never be closer to you as he is right now as you're sitting here in a pub that's been refurbished <laughs> that will open by the time we leave. 
Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. I don't feel that very often. I don't think about that probably as much as I ought to. If I did, it would probably change my life a little bit. Now, you might experience that differently depending on things like your behavior. You're going to experience that love differently depending on how involved in the community because that's how he shows his love. But his love is never off. None of, this, none of that means you're too far from God. If anything, this is what we think. We think, oh, I'm too far from God right now, so I can't pray or I can't go on a Sunday or I can't go to that missional community meeting or I can't serve because I'm not really like, you know, holy enough. I need to get to a certain level. And so then we don't do those things, and then surprise, surprise, we don't feel close to God. You saw this like a negative cycle, like reinforces itself, some kind of like self-fulfilling prophecy. So when you do feel far from him, maybe especially when you feel far from him, that's when you need to do that thing, whatever it is. It could be going and reading a single Bible verse. It could be like praying that single, selfish, me-centered prayer, whatever that, which is better than no prayer at all, whatever that thing might be, or even better, like being present with other Christians. Whatever it might be, maybe you just need to do that thing. And I can't tell you the amount of times I've talked with people who um, struggle with faith, because faith is something that everyone struggles with, and also feel far from God, who aren't connected in community, and they don't realize that their small faith and their disconnectedness from community aren't in themselves, aren't linked. They are 100% linked. The more we're involved with God's people, the more we get to actually learn who God is, the more we get to know who he is. God's love will never change, but our experience of it certainly will. It does every day. And we have choices to either feel that love or not. Now, none of this is a, let's fix all your problems with faith and love issue, like just being at church, serving at church, participating in the relationships in your missional communities. None of that is a complete solution for our problems, right? We're going to have problems anyway. But without them, we shouldn't expect anything in our lives to change. And especially when we go through problems without them, we'll have far less resources to depend on in order to understand these two verses here, let alone other parts in the Bible. If we aren't around, we shouldn't expect, or if we aren't around, we should expect our faith to dwindle and maybe even go out. But in all of this, what God wants us to see in these two verses here, what he wants us to get is there is no place too far from God. Nobody here is too far from God. And then just to maybe underline that fact, um, what Paul says next, nor anything else in all creation. Nothing. He's like, how, can you, how many different ways can you say nothing? Well, this is number six. Just in case you didn't get it, he ends with a big sweeping statement. And if at the end of this you thought to yourself, oh, we didn't talk about this. What about this? Maybe this can keep me away from God's love. No, whatever it is. Oh, but what about this thing? No, you, it can't. But ah, but you didn't talk about that. Whatever that thing is, whatever you can dream up, it cannot keep you away from God's love. My sexual identity, what about that? No. My sleeping with my partner, what about that? No. I promise you, it does not keep you from God's love. Now, it will, help, it will change how you experience it. Because the next question is always, and rightfully so, if you talk about God's love in the way the Bible says, the next question is always this one, which is, so does that mean I can do whatever I want, live however I want, and still not be separated from God's love? Does that mean I can just do whatever? Well, it's not really what this message is about, um, but it is worth a mention. That God's love is not, it's more than just good feelings. It's transformative. It changes those who live in it. So if you are in God's love, you will be in a lifelong transformation. If you think being married to another human is going to change your life, and it will, for the better, I hope, uh, for Christina's sake, do I drag you down? Probably. The, um, if you think being married to another human is a, is a, is a transformative thing, imagine be, basically being married to God, which is kind of like what it means to be in Jesus, to know him. You're connected to him in a way that's even closer than your marriage. Of course that's going to change you. 
This changes how we live. That changes our sexual ethic. That changes ethics in general. Changes what we do with our time. Changes what we do with our money. The more we're in his love, the more we're changed by that love. But it's what comes first. The love comes first. And the behavior is a response to that love. So if we follow Jesus, we're in God's love. And we get this all the time. If we don't follow Jesus, we don't get it. Without Jesus, we are separated from God's love. With Jesus, we're inseparable from it. Now, there's probably lots of other questions you have. I'm like, yeah, but how does it actually work out? Um, send them through, and we will talk about them. It is possible to say, I don't know if you know this, it is possible to say you follow Jesus and not actually follow him. Have you ever met, nobody's really ever met anyone like that, right? Said they're a Christian and not really act like it. I, I, that's a weird thing. Maybe, it, maybe it's just me. But what happens then, though? Let's say you, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm this person. I'm, I do follow Jesus, but you actually don't do it. What happens then? Well, the experience of that is not really enjoyable. Love then just feel warm. It feels cold and distant. It's more like an outside kind of distant planet than it's the sun. And everyone I know who has been excited about Jesus but hasn't actually followed him, which means being in the word and praying, being with other people, they all miss out on experiencing God's love because that's how he, he chooses to show himself is through his word, through his people, in prayer, on his mission. The means of God's love to his people are actually very simple and basic. Individually, it means following how Jesus called us to live, which is not how the culture tells us to live. Sometimes they're against each other. Sometimes they're similar. It's different. We have to read and figure out how, God, how Jesus calls us to live. It does, um, a massive part of that is being with his family, being with the church in the present and then also in the future. And it's also uh, when we're on his mission, mission, talking to people about Jesus and inviting him to experience his family isn't just something like the hardcore rock star Christians do. It's something that everybody does. And we all have different ways of doing that. But even as we're on his mission, we experience his love. These are like the three basic ways that God reveals himself. And what the Bible says is eventually God will give us what we want. So if we're doing nothing but running away from him, running away from him, running away from him over time, he's going to let us do that thing. And, but how can we not run away? Because if I'm honest, I want to run away every single day. I'm not like, in myself, I'm not super excited to follow Jesus all the time, despite how I come across, obviously. I have doubts. I think you all too. I think probably you all probably just kind of want to give up often as well. I think you all probably also feel like you just don't have it in you. Everybody does. Here's a, every, single buddy, every single person does. If my relationship with God is up to me, I will have left a long, long time ago. But thankfully, what these verses tell us, my relationship with God is not up to me. It's up to God. Praise God for that. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God as in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It is God's love. He's giving it out. And he's in charge of it. It's actually not in my power to alter that at all. There's no place in there where he says, if you try really hard, then the love of God that you're reaching for might uh, shine upon you. No, it doesn't say that at all. It's God is the one in power in bringing us to him and keeping us with him. After all, I am part of all of creation, just as everything else might be. And so are you. And really, at the end of the day, who am I to think that I can control God's love? Who are any of us to think that? We can't, and that's really good news because there's going to be days, there's going to be weeks, there's going to be months, years, decades even, but we're just not feeling it. But because of Jesus, we are inseparable from his love. What all of this should mean is that not only are our own lives changed, but others as well. See, we have this infinite reserve 
of love being beamed at us at all times. It should feel like too much, and sometimes it is too much. God gives us too much for ourselves because he expects us to give it to other people. This isn't just a good option for like rock star professional Christians. This is what it means to follow Jesus. A gospel-formed family on mission, and we don't have to sign up anymore, but we still believe it because it's still our identity statement. We are a gospel-formed family on mission. Mission is telling people about this love that we just talked about today, is inviting them into spaces where they experience that love. Surely we want people to know more about that, right? If we've experienced ourselves, and it's a good thing, we want other people to have that good thing, especially people we care about. Now, Paul can say all of this because Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Lord of all. And being the Lord means he has control. Being the Lord means he's the one who's present all the time. Being the Lord means he's the one who's powerful, not us. And what does Jesus do with all this control, all this presence, all this power? Well, he makes sure that anyone who is his will never, ever, ever be separated from the love of God that is in the Father. And John 17, we're not going to look at this today, but John 17 tells us the same love that the Father has for the Son is the love that we have from the Father. The same love the Father has a Son is the same love that we get. The same love in the Trinity is the same love that we experience and we participate in. There is nothing hindering him. There's nothing giving him pause. There's nothing where he's like slightly reserving himself, waiting to see, oh, will they be really good or not? Like then if they're really good, then I'm going to give them all my love. That's just not how God works. God is all in all of the time to all of his people. He's all in all the time to all of his people. That is amazing. I feel like I need to repeat that to myself over and over because I often don't believe that. God is all in all the time to all of his people. Maybe to switch the topic a bit, talk about Bono, uh, who might, maybe he's a big, thinks he's God sometimes. Uh, did you know that Bono actually was at Chilton Bookshop the other day, the other week? Just happened to pop in, had a cup of tea, bought a few books, I think about 30 books or something crazy. Um, now, I don't know if you remember, but there was a time when Apple gave everybody a free U2 album. Do you remember this at all? Yeah, okay. Um, all of a sudden, um, people realize, oh, not everybody loves U2. I thought, well, especially, you know, Christians are supposed to love U2, aren't we? The, um, they, didn't, okay, they didn't just make an album free. They put it on everybody's phone. And then that's when everyone realized independence, free stuff, uh, you know, even in our culture, we love free stuff, right? But not as much as we love our freedom, not as much as we love our independence, not as much as we love our privacy. At least privacy, that's the real concern, isn't it? How, like, how does that, um, what, was, what was marketed as a very generous act, which, you know, marketed is the, the term there, got quite a bit of backlash. Turns out not everyone loves you too, hmm. uh, and not everyone wanted it, wanted it, let alone like all the weird privacy concerns. Well, unlike you too, Jesus does give us something that we actually want. He gives us the love that we spend all of our days searching for, whether we like the song or not, and it will be cheesy, and I'm going to use it anyway, because how can I not, because I'm a pastor. Our lives can be characterized for I still haven't found what I'm looking for. There's a reason why that song really connects with us, right? Like, yeah, I'm going to sing that out. But it's not a happy song, it's a lament. I've done all these things. I've experienced all these things of life. I've even, like, all these spiritual experiences, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That is a very, very sad song. And it's a song we all connect with. And of course, what Paul tells us here, the thing that we're looking for, God gives it to us, always on, through Jesus, only through Jesus. For those who are in Jesus, it is found, because we are found. Without Jesus, we are separated from God's love. 
but through Jesus, we are inseparable from it. And this gives us an infinite resource to go through life differently, an infinite resource to love others in ways that actually would have been impossible for us to do otherwise. And the cost for Jesus was more than coming down as one of us, which would be a kind of an amazing cost if you think this is God. The cost was also Jesus' life. He gave his life so that we could have one. Paul can say neither death nor life because Jesus conquered death with his death and gives us life through his new life. And so that's what we look back to and we celebrate with the Lord's Supper. And you have these underneath, underneath your seats. For those who are in Jesus, this is a meal for you, only for those who follow him. A meal that not only symbolizes